As you know, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, that part of that great sermon preached by our Lord Jesus Christ on that momentous occasion when he delineated the realities of the kingdom, Matthew chapter 6. We're looking this morning uh, at verses 19 through 24. These are doubtlessly familiar words to you who have been believers for some time. You've read them, you've thought about them, you've uh, sought to obey them. But this is a good time to be reminded of these truths uh, for us and dig a little perhaps more deeply into what they mean for our lives today. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where the thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye of the lamp, uh, the eye is the lamp of the body, so when you, if, then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. I'm uh, using as a subject for these verses permanent treasure in a permanent place. As believers know, we are citizens of heaven. That's where our citizenship is, according to Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. We also know that as heavenly citizens, uh, our names are recorded in that place, in the book of life. We are citizens of heaven living on earth. Since heaven is our eternal home, we should have a heavenly focus. Wouldn't you agree? Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 exhorts us with these words. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We are to have a heavenly focus. Our attention is to be on things above, not on things on the earth. This present earth is not our permanent address. We shouldn't put down roots here. We're not going to be here forever. The temporary character of our earthly residency is lyrically expressed in the spiritual song entitled, This World is Not My Home. Perhaps you heard the lyrics. Let me uh, repeat them anyway. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. There is a temptation, however, for heaven-bound people to act as if this world is their home forever. Hence, our Lord's teaching from this, uh, in his sermon, this reality. There is a temptation to store up treasure on earth rather than in heaven. And may I suggest to you that that temptation will always confront you. We live in a world uh, that prizes the material. We live in a world and a culture, particularly in the West and particularly in America, where money is the issue. We hear all the time about the economy, about inflation, about this and that. It's always about that. That's a reality here. 
that our Lord teaches us not to succumb to the temptation to store up treasure on earth. He teaches us not to behave in such a way that we are actually eternally short-sighted. How does he do this? He does it in, by a series of contrasts in verses 19 through 24. He shows us how we're to relate to earthly treasures. He's teaching us what it ought to be, how we ought to be about them. We can divide Jesus' remarks in three headings. The first one will be our first heading, and it is this, two treasures. Two treasures. When Jesus says here in verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, the first thing we have to recognize is that Jesus has the right to command his disciples, that is believers, with respect to their material resources. He is the Lord of our life. And as a consequence of that reality, he is the Lord of our possessions. In fact, uh, we don't own anything. You didn't bring anything when you, with you when you came. You were just a naked baby. You didn't have little bags of silver and gold. And when you leave, you're going to leave with nothing. For in reality, we're not owners of the things that we possess. The reality is they are owned by God and we're simply stewards of them. Now, I need to hasten to add here that Jesus' prohibition is not an indictment of money or wealth per se. Money is not inherently evil. Sometimes people have not understood that. As a consequence, they misquote 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, and that's and say this, money is the root of all evil. I don't know how many times I've heard that expressed. That's not what 1 Timothy 6.10 says. Actually, the text reads, for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Therefore, God is not against money. In fact, he enables us to acquire it. He is the one who empowers us. He enables us to obtain wealth, he says, in Deuteronomy 8. What God is opposed to is the wrong attitudes and actions with respect to material things. In fact, to show you uh, how the God is not against possessions per se, some of the most famous figures in the Old Testament were abundantly blessed by God with wealth. God had a friend. He is called the friend of God, of God and his name is Abraham. Abraham was a wealthy man. There was a man named Job, a patriarch. He was blameless and upright before the Lord. The book of Job opens with those declarations about him. That he was blessed abundantly. He was rich. David, king of Israel, was a man after God's own heart. And he was abundantly blessed with abundant material wealth. David's son. Solomon was exceedingly wealthy. In fact, when Solomon was on the throne, silver is so common they just treated it like it was nothing. So God is not against wealth. The command not to lay up treasure or store up treasure on earth is not a prohibition, therefore, against wealth. Nor, now you need to grab this point, is it a command not to make sensible provisions for our future needs? 
for the needs of our family. In fact, if you read the Proverbs, you know this. If you read the Proverbs, you'll see repeatedly statements that lambaste, that uh, criticize, condemn, uh, not to work. In fact, the book of Proverbs advises in wise living that we prepare for the future. And it uses as an example in Proverbs chapter 6, the ant. An ant. An ant is not made in the image of God, but the ant has more sense than some humans. Because the ant knows I've got to prepare for the future. And so they are duty-bound and diligently is preparing for the future. And there are some humans don't have that much sense. Saving for the future is not sinful, it is provident. So the text, the text here, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, can be rendered, do not treasure, treasure for yourselves. Another way we could uh, say it is, do not collect treasure. In fact, the word treasure, our word thesaurus comes from it, a treasury of words. What this text is teaching here, what Jesus is telling us, is not to hoard. John R.W. Stott writes, quote, But here Jesus is prohibiting being covetous like misers who hoard and materialists who want more. They just collected and collected and they're never satisfied and they collected and collected and the money is not used for good and proper purpose. It can be a pitfall. Money can. And what Stott says, let me quote here in Ecclesiastes 5.10, it says this, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. And he should know, Solomon, he wrote those words. If you love money, it won't satisfy you. Because you'll never have enough. I think it was one man, um, well-known man, uh, he talked about when he made his first billion. You would think of the first billion would be enough. <laughs> and by the way, he left it all here. Every last dollar of it. Jesus, in verse 19, the B portion, shows that earthly treasure is impermanent why we would not want to spend our energy, spend our time in the collection of it, the hoarding of it. It is temporary. You notice what he does here in verse 19. He says, where moth, let's stop there and let's look at the moth. Moth, in ancient times, wealth was measured in part by clothing. Garments represented a considerable investment. Fashion changed little. And garments could be handed down. In fact, the best clothes were made of wool. And moths love to eat them. Can you imagine your closet? And the moths have gotten hold of it. They love to eat it. That's talking about eating up your money. That's what they were doing. The next one is rust. Perosis is the word in the original. Literally means an eating, an eating, and refers to grain. Grain that is eaten by rats, mice, worms, 
insects. Remember the rich man in Luke chapter 12? He had prospered. He's a farmer and he prospered, just grain, grain, grain. And he looked at all of his prosperity and he said, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna tear down my barns, plural, and build larger ones and store all my grain. You know what happened to him. Thieves, it's the next here. Thieves break in and steal. They dig through mud walls of a house or digging up the dirt in a field where people in that day would take their treasure and put it in a field uh, to hide it, to protect it. If they knew about it, they would dig it up and steal it. Nothing we own in this life is completely secure. Nothing. Even if we escape the aforementioned possibilities, here's one thing you've got to keep in mind. We're all going to die. The rich man, that I just talked about a moment ago, he had his, all, his plan all laid out. He's going to store up all of this stuff, and he's going to just live in ease, self-indulgent ease. And God said, you fool. This night your soul is required of you. Then whose things will these be that you have prepared? In other words, you're going to leave it all behind. And Jesus went on to say he was not rich toward God. He was wealthy in this world, but he was, he was impoverished in terms of eternal things. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7 says this. We have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. So the best thing for any person has an eternal perspective who understands that this life is temporary is since you know this on the authority of the word of God what you want to do you want to send it ahead right rather than hoarding it rather than pursuing it we're to store treasure in heaven that's what it says in verse 20 Jesus says, treasure up your treasure for yourselves in heaven. Get that word, yourselves in heaven. Implied in the command to Christians to store up treasure in heaven is that they will persevere in the faith. This is the perseverance of the saints. In other words, Christians will arrive in heaven and our treasure will be there. That's what you want. Once you get into heaven, you want to know you've got treasure there. You don't want to go down to the first bank of New Jerusalem and you say to the teller, I want to withdraw some funds. I'm sorry, but you didn't send anything. <laughs> now, that's, I'm kind of exaggerating a little bit. There'll be something there. For every Christian will have something there. But you, you, you want to have a larger balance there than down here. Our treasure will be there. We are citizens of heaven. It's a permanent treasure. Treasure in heaven is superior to treasure here. We've already seen because it can disappear. It's not permanent. And if, even if you, I said a moment ago, you escape those things that could take your money, uh, guess what? You're going to leave it all behind anyway. Your treasure in heaven cannot be lost. Can't happen. 
First of all, there are no thieves there. <laughs> Except uh, ex-thieves. Those who have been converted to Christ. Amen. Heaven is the safest place in existence for our treasure. Mm-hmm. And it will last forever. Mm-hmm. Last forever. Now, you are asking the question, I'm sure. Uh, how do I... How do I treasure up treasure in heaven? I mean, is there a way to convey uh, my dollars into heavenly treasure? Yes, there is. The Bible elsewhere tells us how to do it. It lays out for us how we store up treasure in heaven. Jesus, in talking about this subject, elsewhere lays it out for us. In Luke chapter 12, and if you'd like to turn there, it would be well worth your time. Because it's the word of God. <laughs> Luke chapter 12. Now, Luke chapter 12, I'm going to pull out of this passage uh, the text that I want to focus on. But I, I want you to know that Jesus is teaching again, and the issue is money. It's covetousness. It begins at chapter... Uh, in chapter 12 at verse 13. I don't have time today to go through all of that, but you can do it at your leisure and read it. And he he speaks of all of these wonderful things, even the rich man that I referred to earlier. And Jesus says something here in verse 33. In verse 34 our application for this morning he says as he's preaching here sell your possessions and give to charity make yourselves money belts which do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys for where your treasure is there your heart will also be see his work now I think there needs to be a word of explanation You need to understand that when Jesus was teaching here, there in his audience were lost people in addition to his disciples. He began in teaching this back in verse 13 because a man wanted him to arbitrate uh, between himself and his brother about an inheritance. Jesus goes on to warn about greed. So lost people in the audience. Why would he say, sell your possessions, give to charity, and make yourselves money belts? Well, let me say a couple of things. First of all, Jesus is not here suggesting by any means whatsoever that you can somehow earn salvation by giving your money to the poor. Salvation is not by any good works that one does. Such an idea of giving your money to the poor um, is utterly repugnant to the mind of God. It is not in Scripture. It, it's contrary to the gospel of grace. We are saved by grace through faith, right? Amen. Let me tell you what happens. When, when you're saved, what happens to you, your heart changes relative to material things. Sam Houston. He's a man whom the city of Houston, Texas is named after. And a man preached to him, preached to him. In fact, he was, the man that preached to him was uh, the great-grandfather of Lyndon Baines Johnson, former president of the United States. Sam Houston came to Christ. Uh, Sam Houston was baptized. 
<laughs> After that, he said, I'm going to pay half the pastor's salary. And I said, why are you going to do that? He said, because when I got baptized, my wallet was baptized too. <laughs> he said, in other words, I've given myself, including my money to the Lord. So what Jesus is saying here, you want to do that. By how a person views money is a measure of his repentance and faith. Anything that stands between a person and a lost people are listening to this, anything that stands between a lost person or a person and its allegiance to Christ blocks the way to salvation for that person. You say, how do, how do you know that? Let me tell you how I know this. Because in, in Matthew chapter 19, remember the rich young ruler, he came to Jesus and said, I want eternal life. And Jesus says, sell all your stuff and come and follow me. He said, oh, he went away grieved. He wouldn't do it because really he treasured earthly treasure more than eternal treasure. Though he said he wanted eternal life, he really wanted to keep his money. That same reality is multiplied countless times as Jesus' parable of the sower illustrates. Matthew chapter 13, verse 22. The deceitfulness of wealth choked the word, the Bible says. No spiritual fruitfulness. Person is deceived by money, deceived by wealth. Think wealth can buy them happiness. Think wealth can buy them a whole host of things wealth can't do for you. I'm amazed oftentimes when I hear about very wealthy people who have such miserable existences. That's sad. But the, when a person is deceived by wealth, thinking wealth is their security, wealth is the answer for life's problems and all of that, and that's where happiness and joy will come from, ultimately, that that person will not be fruitful. They've heard the word of God, and they go off and do other things. The Bible is replete with that truth. But when a person has come to Christ, when there's been genuine repentance and genuine faith, their relationship with money changes. Zacchaeus. Remember him? Luke 19, 1 through 10. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He worked for the Romans. Zacchaeus was rich. But the reality of salvation was realized in his life after he trusted Jesus as Messiah. He made restitution to those he had defrauded. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> He said, I ripped people off. And I'm going to return the money. I know who I ripped off, and I'm going to give them the money back. You know you got them saved when you do that. <laughs> then he cared for the poor. <laughs> so, Jesus lays out in verse 33. Give the charity. Remember in Matthew chapter 6, we were to do our um, acts of righteousness, almsgiving. Remember? They would give at the temple for the needs of others. Jesus teaches here. C kingdom concerns. When you, you give, you give for kingdom concerns, for eternal things, things that that'll last forever, the kingdom. 
and all that God is doing. Part of that, evangelism. Evangelism. Giving so that others, through means of evangelism, those who are being supported by our giving, preach the gospel. Now let me show you this, lest you just write it down and wonder what biblical support I have. Luke chapter uh, 16. Luke chapter 16. Now, there was a guy who was a dishonest manager. Remember him? And this dishonest manager uh, is discovered, so uh, he's going to be relieved of his management responsibility. And so he went to all the people that uh, he was managing resources for for his boss. He lured what they owed to ingratiate himself so that when he was fired, removed, he'd have somebody welcome him to his house. Because he said, I can't dig. So he had a cushy job. He's a guy he, had, he wore a white collar to work. <laughs> I, I, when I was a little kid, uh, I was in junior high. My teacher asked me, was my father, did he wear, a, was it white collar or blue collar? I'm thinking, what do, I don't know. I didn't know he was asking about his economics, what kind of job he had. This guy had, was a white collar worker. And he was shrewd in relation to his own kind, Jesus said in verse 8. Verse 9, it says, And I say to you, speaking to believers, to us, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. Unrighteousness. The wealth of unrighteousness, that which belongs to the passing world. In other words, use your money to win people to Christ. And they will be in heaven. And when you get there, when if your unrighteous mammon fails, you'll, you'll die. You can't use it up there, uh, down here. You'll be gone from down here. You'll go up there. And they will receive you into eternal dwellings. They'll welcome you. Say, oh, come on in. It's good to see you. You gave. And I heard the gospel. And I'm in heaven. And here you are. And they'll welcome you. That's the reality. People. Be there. This this world's passing. You do know that, right? Amen. Prepare for the future. Where are you going to spend forever? Another way. Go with me to First Timothy chapter six. First Timothy chapter six. You notice, I haven't, uh, as I'm taking you through, through these texts, um, Jesus doesn't teach us to give so we can have the most expensive vehicle with the most expensive leather for the seats. Y'all hearing me? Amen. This is not the prosperity gospel. It's talking about heaven. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Verse 17. Paul instructs 
Timothy, the pastor at Ephesus, these words. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So you see what you do there, because uh, riches aren't certain. They can fly away, as Proverbs says. They can be stolen away. You can be shammed out of them. All kinds of things can happen. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. You see that? Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. Doing those things that he mentions in verse 18 will be storing up treasure mm -hmm. in heaven. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Storing up, amassing a treasure. The word foundation here in verse 19 of 1 Timothy 6 can refer to a fund. from which you'd be able to withdraw somehow, some way uh, in heaven. I don't know how that works. I just believe the word. Good deeds. Good deeds, the fruit of salvation, of course, not the cause of it, are a means of storing up treasure. And I, uh, I uh, for you Christians, those of you who say you're a Christian, you're not engaged in these things. You need to take a long, hard look at what the Bible teaches. Because you are going to leave here. And when you get to heaven, no point in saying, I wish I had. Now's the time. There's another in uh, Philippians. I would like for you to see that helps us know how we lay up treasure in heaven. Philippians. Paul was a missionary, as you know, and he was, uh, he needed support mm -hmm. to be able to preach the gospel in various territories. He depended on fellow believers and churches to give of their resources to meet his need. Philippians 4. Let me just set it up, verse 15. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I get this is important, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Not the account at the first bank of Philippi he is talking about their heavenly account when they gave to meet Paul's need so he could do the work of the ministry as a missionary guess what every time they did that God credited that to their eternal account they laid up treasure 
And that's what Paul said. I want you to have that. When you get there, Philippians, I want you to have that reserve. I want you to have that account, that treasure laid up in heaven because you gave to my need to spread the gospel. It's how you lay up treasure in heaven. How you accomplish it. Giving for kingdom causes. Giving giving for kingdom purposes, for the gospel, needs of the saints, for the work of God's church. Do you not know when you give here, we're doing God's work? Do you not know that God notes that? It's treasure. When you serve here, do you not know as you do good deeds among your brothers and sisters, do you not know that you're laying up treasure in heaven? Back in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Jesus' words here. He gets to the heart of the matter <laughs> about a treasure. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart will be where your treasure is located either on earth or heaven. It'll be about temporal things or eternal things. You can know where your heart is by where you focus your treasure. That's how you know. Yes. It's clear. By the way, the heart of the matter is something you have to consider always. Heart. It's a heart issue. May I just say something to you, expand on this? You know what the problem is with some people who profess to be Christians? The heart's not quite right. They're more interested in their comfort, their leisure, their pleasure, whatever, than God's work and God's kingdom. That people like say, well, God knows my heart. Sure, he knows it. Some of us do, too. Not that we can read your heart, but we can see your actions. We can see what you really value, by how you live, what you're concerned with, where you are. You say you're a follower of Jesus? Show us. It'll show up in your life. Your treasure. Two treasures. We've seen that. Two visions. We see it in verse 22 and 23. This is an analogy from our Lord Jesus Christ. Here in this analogy, the eye is the lamp of the body. Let's the light in so we can see where we're going. But in this analogy, this, the eye is an illustration of the heart. In our physical body, our eye, the lens, we, the light comes in, we can see where we're going. The heart is the eye of the soul through which the light of spiritual truth comes in. And when our hearts are clear, 
a heart that is single-minded in its devotion. Spiritual light and truth comes in and it guides us. Verse 23, but if your eye is bad, um, no light can enter. You know if you're blind, you can't see where you're going. Your whole body's full of darkness. If your eye is bad, it's, you don't have, you, your spiritual life is corrupted. If our eye or heart is encumbered with material concerns, hoarding earthly treasure, insensitive to spiritual concerns when it is bad, eternal values aren't the thing that matters. And that word bad, by the way, paneros is the word paneros. It means evil. In fact, the Jewish expression says, calls it an evil eye. An evil eye for the Hebrews meant one who was stingy, one who was self-indulgent. The person who has an evil eye, who has a bad eye, is materialistic and greedy. He may think he or she is uh, financially savvy according to the world's standards, but according to the wisdom of God and the wisdom of Christ, he says, if that is how you are, your eye is bad, and you're, the light that is in you, the light that you think is light, you have insight and understanding, no, 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 you're materialistic, that light is darkness, and how dark it is. How great is the darkness. How great. Put it like this. The way we use our money is a measure of our heart's condition. simple as that. I'm glad that these aren't my words. <laughs> Jesus' words. Now, he's not done. Two treasures, two visions, two masters. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. We can't have our treasures both in heaven and on earth, our bodies both in light and darkness. Masters. Master here is kurios, meaning Lord, speaks of a slave owner. By definition, a slave owner has total control of a slave. You cannot serve God in wealth. It's either or. No both and. Tell me, answer this question in your mind for me. Can you walk in opposite directions at the same time? Neither can you serve God in mammon. You're going to hate one or the other. Devote, be devoted to one or the other. The, words, the word wealth here. Um, some translations say mammon. 
and it's a translation of an Aramaic term that refers to property, possessions, or money. What Jesus does here when he says, you cannot serve God and wealth or mammon, he personifies mammon as a master seeking to enslave and rule over one's life. It's in competition with God. And that's the way it is. All your Christian life, you're going to have to fight off. The temptation to focus on the here and now and ignore the here to come. Now, don't, don't conclude that God doesn't want you to enjoy the things he's given you, because he does. It says in First Timothy, he gives us richly all things to enjoy. He doesn't mind you taking a vacation. He doesn't mind you uh, using some material things for your life. But do understand, you don't want to be sitting around hoarding, acquiring, collecting, and sitting on it and not using it. John Wesley, he was a great preacher in England. And uh, he had a long ministry. I think uh, he was still preaching when he was in his 80s. He'd ride horseback and preach. He and George Whitfield were friends. Because of his books and ministry, he made a lot of money, a lot of money, a lot of money. When John Wesley died, you know how much money he had? 28 pounds. So what did he do with it? He would give it away. Let me tell you something. I'm going to visit Wesley when I get to heaven. I want to enjoy all these God there. He laid up treasure. Let's conclude this. We take Jesus at his word by faith, don't we? We trust him regarding our eternal destiny. We believe that he died and rose again, and we believe he will bring us to heaven. Why wouldn't we believe him about storing up treasure in heaven? Belief is demonstrated in doing it. We say you really believe him. We'll obey him. This is discipleship, brothers and sisters. It's how we relate to the money that God has given us for his purposes and for his glory. Let's uh, bow together. Father, we thank you for uh, you know, the word of God that we've uh, looked at this morning. Thank you for its uh, convicting and conforming effect in our life. Thank you for laying out the truths about this world and its temporal basis, the eternity that is to come. May we uh, trust you in these days, so we've now heard your word fresh and been clarifying for us. We heard your mind. We have the mind of Christ. May we find ourselves in greater conformity to it, being mindful of the life to come.
strengthen us and, and use us in these areas. For your glory, in the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.